is the Sebastian from the Metal Gods Meltdown, and tonight I'm joined by Toby Jetson from Wayward Sons, and uh, you know I'm probably people will remember me from Little Angels, and the other things you do as well. You're a mega talented exactly. singer and producer. So what's made you decide to re-release Ignorance Is Bliss? Well, you know. I've often described making records as kind of like marking time. You know, what you do is as an artist, you, you, you know, you've, you've got no way of knowing whether your records or the, the, the music that you make is actually going to have any kind of impact at all. It's not, that isn't the focus. The focus is, is in the work, creating the work. Um, but what you're really doing is you're putting your life at that time. If, if you, in my opinion, if you get it right, you're putting your life, into that music and allowing that to be a kind of, you know, like I say, like a mark in the in, in the in time, really, in your own timeline. But occasionally, certainly my experience of being in the music business now for over 30 years, some records kind of get lost in the midst of time because of the situation you find yourself in. And that, that album, the album I'm about to re-release, the 25th um, remastered edition of Ignorance is Bliss, which was my first solo album, unfortunately, it kind of got lost. It and it was it was circumstances. It was to do with the label that I was working with at the time. Were new. It was a, it was it was a very very fledgling independent label. They had a relationship with a distributor that unfortunately went awry. So the the, the sort of week of my the album got released um, officially through all the press releases and all the rest of it. You got to remember I was coming off the back of a very successful band like Little Angel, so there was quite a lot of anticipation about the release of the album. And we've done all the sort of pre-release um you know sort of reviews and they've been they've been really glowing and people said oh you know no one expected toby to do something quite so dark as this you've got to hear this record but on the day that it was supposed to be released the distributor had got the date wrong and the albums were not in the shops so what happened was is that in back in the day because no one there wasn't digital you know there was no digital sort of like there was no streaming there was no downloading anything like that if you took your 10 pounds into the your local hmv or your local tower records at the time to buy an album, if it wasn't in the racks, you bought something else and you didn't go back for it. That's kind of how it worked. So, unfortunately, that record disappeared. It kind of, I went and toured it, and uh, they got, then I got very, very poorly whilst I was on tour, and I got pneumonia and had to kind of cancel the tour. So, it was almost like a perfect storm of problems. Um, and I kind of never, I didn't really, I, I kind of didn't get over it, really, because it was a real, for me, that record was, a, was supposed to be the, the foundation stone for a future as a more expressive artist an artist that was changing was growing up having you having had an experience like the little angels which were essentially we were uh, you know for want of a better description we were almost like a sort of pop rock band really as, as you know but, but we but we were a lightweight band we were a lighter band but i had always had a desire to make make proper music and make more searching music and so ignorance is bliss was that first stepping stone and when it disappeared and became a um, and, and went into the ether it really really upset me and it was i found it very difficult to deal with and so i kind of quit the music business for a while as a result of it but now i'm back doing what i'm doing and i've, I've been back in the game you know for a good 15 16 years now it's not longer really or well, since 2002 i got back in fully um, I'm now in a far better position and i just sort of looked at my my career and thought you know what one album that i feel sad that never got heard is that album and so it just seemed like a no-brainer to me that i i ought to you know give it a fresh coat of paint get it out again get it remastered do a do a, a, a deluxe edition so people can read all about the sort of making of the album and what that means 
um, and what it, how it affected me. And yeah, it's been so far. It's been met with real enthusiasm, and um, I'm really chuffed. You know, it's uh, it's nice to have a second run on an album that, like I say, I I, I never, I, I suppose, I didn't really expect to ever really get another chance. You know, absolutely, it was. Back in the day, a dark round, I remember it well when it came out. Of course, back then, yourselves with Little Angels, just before you you split, and Thunder and the Almighty, were on the cusp, really, of making a be- breakthrough nationally, weren't you? Nationally, it did for Little Angels. I mean, we were a very successful band in the UK, and also quite, I mean, this is what I often sort of say to people, actually, we were bigger than you think we were. I mean, mainland Europe embraced us, Germany was great for us, Japan was fantastic for us. Weirdly, Canada was really good for us, but... We just what 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 happened to Little Angels is what happened to actually the same thing to Thunder is that we found it hard to break out of the the, the cul-de-sac that we that we kind of made for ourselves in lots of ways, um, which was a lot to do with the business uh, at the time and the way that music was being sold and and how the promoters worked and the way that record labels that because we, we were signed to a major record label how they operated on an international level and at that particular time you were deemed a failure if you weren't selling millions and millions of records. And quite often what happened was, like it happened to Little Angels, is that we went to America uh, as a um, as a prioritised act on, on Polygram, through the whole of the Polygram system, but they lost they lost faith in it because we didn't we didn't when we released the album in America it didn't immediately sell the million records and, and they just thought that was a total failure. Because at the time bands like Slaughter and Poison and you know I don't know um, all, all, all those kind of phalanx of bands, you know, all, all that, you know, all those bands, extreme, all these bands, they were all selling millions of records out, out of the box. And I think people forget that, that, but, but of course, America was a massive, massive country with a huge machine behind it. So when these limeys came from the UK to try and break America, actually the record labels weren't that interested because it was, they had their, their own homegrown acts. And so it was, it was quite a tough time. But in terms of the UK and sort of quite a lot of Europe and various other, you know, various other territories, the band were very successful, and I'm, I'm, you know, I feel very proud of that. But you know, of course, it's it, it it's um, you know, it, it's not easy to maintain. That's the thing. You know, it's not easy to maintain it, and hence that's why we ended up splitting up. You know, did you ever think about reforming at any stage? I mean, we've had so many bands that have reformed, done a final show. And then a la Motley Crue reformed again, which is probably not going to ever happen now, but that's another story. Did you ever think about that? Well, well I mean, we did, we did get back together to do Download, obviously, in 2011. Uh, summer of 2011, we, we played Download, um, and that was prompted by um, the death of Michael Lee, who was our drummer for, for the two, really, the two big classic albums, you know, well, don't pray for me and, and young gods. Um, he played on those two records, and, and my, poor old Michael passing away was a kind of catalyst for us to get together again. And then we did do a short reunion tour in 2012, but we never considered getting back together properly. If that's what you're really asking, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't consider that to be um, the right thing to do. And I think a lot of the reasons why that was was because we felt we'd kind of, well, there's two reasons. We we. By that by that point in 2012, we'd all diversified in our lives so much that it was we weren't all musicians. I was I was still a musician. I was working with you know Fastway and I'd done some you know I was doing stuff with Dio's Disciples and all sorts of other things. But you know Bruce Bruce and Jim Dickinson, the Dickinson brothers who were in the band, the guitar player and the keyboard player respectively, they were both teachers at this point. You know they'd gone into education. Mark Plunkett was managing Ronan Keating. You know Mark Richardson was playing drums for Skunk and Nancy. So everyone had a, a different plot so it, it wasn't easy to even consider that idea but it was 
it was manageable to do a tour, you know, and so, but there was never any question about getting back together to make, make new music. No, there wasn't. Go back to Ignorance is Bliss. Do you have a favourite track on the album and why? I have, I, I really like the entire record because it was like I always do with my albums and I've, I, maybe Ignorance is Bliss was the first example of this. Every song has a reason to be there. I don't, I don't just write a bunch of songs and throw them together and hope for the best. There's a, there's a real plan and there's a narrative trail that runs through all of my records and I, I plan it that way. It's a, it's a kind of quite a, um, a quite a sort of part of my, my, my sort of processing. So each rep, each song means something, but there are a couple of favorite recordings. I love haven't got the strength to carry on. That's, I think if I was pushed, I think that's my favorite mainly because it's the atmosphere in the track. It defines the way that I was feeling precisely, and it's it's it, it really is the it's the accompaniment. It's almost like the, the brother track to "I Won't Be With You." Actually, those two songs came quite quickly, you know, within a very short space of time with each other. But the, but the, the other track that I really love is um, probably better off without me, which is the sort of second track of the album, um, which is kind of quite. It's one of the very few melancholic love songs i've ever written that i really felt touched the nerve and i love the guitar riff i mean the guitar player that i was working with at the time russ godwin very inventive he was a total greenhorn he'd never made any records in his life he but he was really clever he was a young lad and i remember he tuned the guitar into a kind of really odd tuning i'd never seen anyone do anything like it before up until that point he literally just sort of went oh i think i'll just tune the e to d and i'll put the the G to an F, and it, and I was like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I don't know, I'm just going to have a little go and see how this sounds. And he came up with this kind of odd tuning, but then when he played the, the riff that's on that track, it created that riff, you know, and it was like, I'd never seen someone do that before, and he, and he was really, really clever. And so as a result of that, it inspired that song, you know. And so I've got a very fond memory of that writing process of that song, because it was it was kind of like, it was inspired by Russ's creativity sort of thing. But really, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the whole thing. I've got to be honest, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of good stuff on there. And that's why I'm excited for people to hear it, you know. I'm on my way I won't be back again this way It's so absurd I will not take your spiteful I've tried to explain I've compromised a thousand ways But still you don't see
Also, of course, people are going to be able to stream. You're going to put it on Spotify, I presume, and everything like that. Yeah, we just got all the notification um, that that's all going to go ahead. Uh, you know, in terms of getting up on the streaming sites, it's been quite difficult actually because there's been because of the because of the the, the COVID nineteen um, you know pandemic that we're in right now. You know, uh, every every musician in the world is trying to get music up on up on the up on all the streaming sites, and it, you know, it's been we've been in a backlog from for well since the beginning of the lockdown. Really, we 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 uh, we instigated the whole process, but I think I've got I literally got indication today that it's going to be going up within the next five to ten days, which should just about tally with our um with our release pattern with the actual physical physical albums you know so fortunately it's worked out but yes it will be all available for streaming yeah how has the covid 19 affected you personally have you found yourself writing loads or producing more what have you been doing uh all of the above i mean it's been a, a very interesting exceptionally challenging period for all of us obviously but from my own point of view um i'm i'm it's that you know exactly the same i found myself facing a black hole of income because gigs were cancelled and i was about to start writing um, music for a film my first film project and that that film got cancelled or at least it's been put on hold because the production company had to close down because they weren't allowed to operate etc so i literally had signed the contracts for that and then they pulled the funding so i was so i was basically facing a sort of real difficult situation as my wife was you know we've we live in a very normal circumstances just like a lot of other people you know very it's very ordinary our house really but we you know we survive off the back of both of our incomes etc so i had to sort of face that and find and find a new method to go forward and to try and, and try and sort of you know uh, monetize what i was doing and so that's what I did. I, I looked at myself and I thought, you know what? What I started out doing when I was a little boy was playing a guitar, writing a song and singing a song with that guitar. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I, I boiled it down to the essence of what I think music's all about, which is essentially the songs. That's all I care about. And I thought, I can do that. I can put my iPhone on a stand. I can tell people I'm going to play songs and I'm going to see what the reaction is. And the reaction was overwhelming. I, 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 spent, I spent the last nine weeks doing concerts on a Thursday night through my Facebook feed. And I've had, you know, 1,500 people one night. I've had 1,200 another night. I've had 700 another. I've had 800 another. And I've, I've, they've been giving me donations to help me out, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a revelation, actually. And and, in, and what, what I've really enjoyed about the process is it's forced me to go and um, re-look at a lot of music that I created as, as a youngster. So I went back right back to the start of the Little Angels career and re-examined a lot of the songs I wrote then, relearned them and then played them uh, right through all of the band's albums, right through my solo stuff, right up until, you know, right through the sort of Fastway album that I did, right through to the Wayward Sons records. And it's it's been a really interesting emotional journey of, of reconnecting with my processes and my and myself if you like and try and coming to terms with an understanding what what i was thinking at the time i wrote a certain song that sort of thing so i feel in a very good place actually i um i think we're going to see a lot of changes in the music business i think if anyone has missed the opportunity in many ways and i, I use that word very with with a great deal of respect because obviously i don't want to use the pandemic as an opportunity if you know what i mean i don't mean it like that what i mean is i was forced to look at myself and find a way forward but I do think it's, there's a lot of musicians out there that have gone, hang on a minute, 
I'm going to have to put all my work online. If I don't, then I'm, I'm going to be in real difficulty. And so I think it's just yet another example of necessity being the mother of invention. You know, you have to sometimes be forced into a corner to kick and scream your way back out of that corner, if you know what I mean. So it's been a very busy time for me. I'm working on a lot of projects. We've got a new Wayward Sons album that I'm in the middle of writing at the moment. I'm working on, I've started working on the film again because that's starting to open up again. I'm writing a screenplay for a movie. I'm working with a production company for that. I'm, I'm working on a, a TV series, potentially, that we're going to take to Netflix. So I've got a lot of stuff on the go. I'm writing my autobiography. You know, so I've got a lot of strands. And it's been dead exciting. And I, and I think I'll look back on this period, like I hope a lot of people do, and go, it, it was difficult. It was very, very sad. It was a lot of tragedy. But we survived. And we've, we've managed to reinvent ourselves and we can carry on. Do you plan to do a full live album stream on release day of Ignorance is Bliss? I think you absolutely should. Well, I mean, it's but it's absolutely a possibility. I mean, you know, I've been doing what I've done with my live streams is I took every single release that I've ever done and I did an evening of it. So I did like Little Angels early stuff, you know, and then I did every album, Don't Pray For Me, Young Gods and Jam. Then I did all the best of the rest and then, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, last, the last... Last week, I did um, the very final show of the series because I've, I've been regarding them almost like they've been like TV shows, really, like live TV gigs type of thing. That's the way I've been viewing it, uh, like the, the Little of the Past album. So essentially, it was the greatest hits of the Little Angels, and I kind of recreated the uh, Royal Arbor Hall in my kitchen sort of thing, <laughs> um, which, was great, which was great fun. So, and I've taken a week off this week, but I'm getting back to it next week, and I'm doing a, a sort of all-request shows going forward, and then I'm going to do... Uh, sort of, you know, essentially I'm going to do some collaborations. I've got the, the saxophone player I work with quite a lot, Dave Kemp. He's going to come online with me and we're going to do some stuff together and he's a really funny guy. And So I'm mixing it up a little bit. So yes, absolutely, there is the possibility on release day of the, or at least the Thursday around the release date, um, I will do a, 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 an acoustic version of the album. Because the weird thing about that record, well, not the weird thing, the best thing about that record, I guess, was that all of those songs were written on an acoustic guitar, just like every other song I've ever written. But specifically, that, that album was, um, was composed pretty much exclusively on acoustic guitar over a period of sort of three or four months, apart from one song I'd done for a long, long time. Um, and so it's actually quite easy to transfer those songs onto an acoustic guitar, so it would suit them no problem, you know. That's excellent. I love the story. <laughs> Royal Albert Hall. Is that sort of a blur to you, the final show, all those years ago? It seems like yesterday, doesn't it, in many ways, but is that all a blur? Uh, I think in a kind of crazy way, it is a blur, and I've, a lot of it I've blocked out um, of my memory because it was such a tragedy. Uh, I, I don't make any bones about it at all. I was absolutely heartbroken when the Little Angels split up. I still don't really know why we did split up. It was, unfortunately, the conditions that surrounded the band split are complicated and difficult to talk about. I used to say it was to do with relationships, not just within the band, but with people that surrounded us outside of the band. Mm -hmm. And... There was no reason for the Little Angels to split up whatsoever. We could have easily carried on. We literally did our final show, sold out 7,500 people in the Royal Albert Hall. There was not a lack of demand to see the band. And it's always been a very difficult thing to come to terms with for me. It took me about 10 years to try and even, even get over it. And really, Ignorance is Bliss was my knee-jerk reaction to that split. 
it was me raging against the machine of the music business and raging against the machine of the people we were involved with and how all of a sudden the, the band that I formed with my friends from school that took five lads from Scarborough in the northeast of England all the way to the Royal Albert Hall over a period of nearly 10 years through our own endeavour was dismantled in front of our eyes pretty much without our con consent really in lots of ways it was a tragedy and i and i i, I we, you know the, i'm not saying anything out of turn here this is stuff that we talked to talk, talked about as a band and as people now we're all very good friends now so it is a blur because i i don't like to remember it oh i can i can remember being on stage and singing bizarrely i can remember i don't know why i can remember singing this particular song but i remember singing womankind which is a song that i wrote for my wife and i remember having the this lighting guy um bring the follow spots round onto her box she was she was she was in a royal box and that she was in there with like a load of my family and i had them spin the the, the um the the, the follow spots onto that royal box onto the royal box so i could sing the song to her I remember doing that, which was kind of probably the most romantic thing I've ever done in my entire life. It's probably the only romantic thing I've ever done in my entire life. But um, I remember that very well. And I remember doing Don't Pray For Me, which is the final song we ever played on stage together as a band at that period, and being really, really upset by it. And I can, I can remember looking out into the audience and seeing people bawling their eyes out. You know, it was, that's how much the fans felt about the band. You know, that's how much we meant to them, to them and how much they meant to us. And it's it's a very difficult thing to think about actually, you know, um, cause it was my life, you know, it was absolutely my life and it was the life of the band as well. I think all of the guys in the band felt very connected to the band, but we just found ourselves in a situation where for some reason or not, or, or another, we were unable to carry on. And it's, that's all I can really say about it. It's hard to explain it. He's finally crawling his way back home. Finally stop being a kid. Such a long time. The city won't miss him. He's too big to care. He's left all the lights and the good times to share. And it's been such a long time. Down in the halls, he stayed just the same. Although he's a king, he's a pawn in this game. Don't worry, brother. Oh 
So I meant by my opening question, saying about Thunder yourself, skin of course. You could have been like really like icons like Deep Purple are today. You know what I mean? It's always what mm. if though in life, isn't it? That's what I meant to say. It is, and you know, and you and you, and you, you know what? You can't. I've I've come to terms with all that. You know, I I have to because yes, you, you're absolutely right. We were on the cusp, but. We also, to be fair to the situation, were also the last generation of bands that were able to operate in that fashion. Mm. And what I mean by that is, when we got signed to Polydor Records, the major record labels had never had it so good. They, had, they were awash with money. The CD revolution had absolutely filled their coffers beyond all expectations. Bands were selling millions of records, literally, even little bands, Bands that no one had ever, you know, never come across before were coming out of the blocks and selling a million records. It was bonanza, and we were the last. We were the last sort of like bands that, that, that a generation of bands that had that that sort of surrounding mechanism. And when the Seattle sound and the, and the grunge thing started to, to happen, which actually should definitely, I'm glad it did happen. It needed to shake things up. We'd had a, we'd had a very very easy ride for a long time. And music needed to change. It has to change all the time. This is what, you know, it has to be progressive. But sadly, part of the effect of that was is that the record labels um, 
didn't want to continue on these juggernaut bands. You know, what they, they regarded as juggernaut bands that cost a lot of money to run, uh, took a lot of effort, ha- had to cross over. When in the face of Nirvana's eruption and Pearl Jam, those bands did that without even trying. It just became an incredible success for, for very little money. So you got to remember that sound was very more based in the like garage, yeah. and it was very very. It was a rough. It was a rough rock and roll sound. It was getting back to the basics. It was, it was almost like our generation's punk rock. Was. That's what it was really. And those bands erupted and changed everything. And all of a sudden, it was no longer cool to have long hair and, and to play a guitar solo. And so that was definitely formed part of the reason why it was hard for us to carry on. But the rec- but, but what people don't know is the record industry changed itself. It became um, stagnant and it became um, more concerned with fashion than it did with actually anything else. And so we would, we would never have got beyond that cordon. Even if we, I think actually, you know, if we'd have carried, I think we could have carried on. I wish we, I wish what we'd done, and done is, is what Def Leppard did. I wish that we had battened down the hatches gone away for a little while, regrouped, let the dust settle a bit, and then made another album. Because I'm would, i pretty much guaranteed that all of those little Angels fans would have still been there. Oh, without, but it would have changed. Without a know, doubt, without a doubt. Know, I mean, that's the problem. I think I think Thunder did it better than us. Cause like, and I, I, know, I know Danny and Luke very well. I know all the guys in Thunder very well. But Danny was very smart. That's kind of what they did. They sort of went away for a little bit, never split up. But then they came back and then re- re- regrouped and carried on. And look, look what happened to Thunder. They, you know, they, they've now become royalty in terms yeah. of rock, rock royalty in terms of their generation of bands. You know, so I don't know. With, I don't think we handled it very well, and I think we could have handled it better. But it's easy to say that now. You know what I mean? You That's can't. Yeah. You can't dwell upon the past. And I'm. I have to say, I am very, very happy with where I am as, a, as an artist and as a person, as a sort of like a, a, a British personality in the rock business, if you like. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I'm doing the Planet Rock things, you know, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's lots of great things. And I think, you know what? Life's journey is is twists in the road, isn't it? And you don't know where it's going to go. And the, and the secret with it all is not to gnash your teeth about how terrible it all is and what could have happened. The secret is to grasp what you've got in front of you and make the best of it. That's what I think. So next, I want to ask you about your podcast that you've started doing. How have your chats been so far with Ricky Warwick and with Byford? R- Ricky's, a, Ricky's a really good mate of mine. I've known Rick since the days of Polydor. I mean, they were signed to the same label as we were. So we were, you know, we were walking the same halls of uh, uh, Sussex, Gar- Sussex Place in Hammersmith, where, where the record company headquarters were at the same time. You know, we, we were friends then, you know, the almighty. We, we loved the almighty. We thought they were a great band. They used to come to our gigs. We went to their gigs. You know, it was that sort of thing. And our managers knew each. The two managers knew each other. So we, we, we were we were sort of very connected. You know, um, I did. I can't say that I knew I knew Ricky very. You know, like intimately as a as a mate at that particular point because our paths were different. But I've got to know Ricky very very well. I'm a massive fan of his. I think he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Forget the fact he's a musician. He's a lovely lovely man. We get on great, and we we always try and help each other. I mean, he you know he's done my podcast. We, we're doing a um, 
we're doing a song together at the moment where he sent me a video and I'm going to do uh, my part. So we're going to put it together as a, as a co sort of, you know, split screen thing, like, you know, in tr traditional, in traditional lockdown fashion. <laughs> so we're doing that. And I, I had Ricky on tour with me when he was just starting back out as an acoustic artist. And he came on tour with me when I had my solo band. He's kindly re returned that favor by putting Wayward Sons on with, you know, with Black Star Riders. You know, this is what it's about. The record industry at its best is about relationships. It's about building and forming strong relationships and bonds with people that you like and that you appreciate and you admire. And Ricky certainly is one of those people for me. I think he's a genuine person. He's very, he's absolutely authentic. And everything that, you, that comes out of his mouth is real. And that's the way I view myself as well. I'm not trying to be anything. I just want to be an authentic character. And Ricky and me are very, very similar like that. So that's why our, that's why our relationship is as, as strong as it is. And that's why I think when we did the podcast, he was as honest as he was. You know, I think he was incredibly honest, um, gave an incre incredible honest account of himself. Um, and I know that, that Rick will continue to go from strength to strength because he's just that kind of guy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you've done a chat with Biff Byford as well. From those chats, has there been anything that's been like, hmm, can I really put that out there? Are the podcasts live? Or do you do like <laughs> I do, edit it down? No, no. I mean, I've... I've I've left them as clean as I possibly could. The only things I've edited out have been actually the the um, the, the the connection problem issues, like you know, with because of Skype, you often get that kind of like robotic thing happening, you know, because of the, the the bad connection. So I've only edited those things out, and and as a result, sometimes I've had to then edit out a sentence or uh, omit part of a question or something like that because of the nature of that but no I, I try to keep them as clean and as real as possible because that's the point i don't want to i don't want to be part of this modern phenomena of manipulate manipulating people's existence if you know what i mean i, I want i want that is to be as real as possible that's why i call my my podcast toby and the whole truth that's why i'm calling my patreon that i'm launching um on june the first uh, toby and the whole truth because I want to be one of the one of those people that talks uh, my own truth and talk talks as, as clearly and as concisely and as authentically as I can. Say you were in lockdown for a year. Which famous rock or metal star-stroke band would you choose to be with you? Wow, that is a great question. Um, goodness me, that is a tough one to answer. It would have to come down to the personalities within the ranks and I'd also expect that those relationships would then flower into sort of being creative, you know, so it'd have to be somebody that I, enorm I admired enormously. Can it be alive or dead? Alive, alive or dead, alive or dead, yeah. Well, if it's alive or dead, it would be Queen uh, and then I would expect them to, unfortunately, David Bowie's car broke down outside and we had to take him in as well. <laughs> so it would be David Bowie and Queen. I, I don't think I could split those two up. It'd have to be David Bowie era, Queen era, you know, under pressure, and David David Bowie happened to be with them at the time, and I happened to be there as well. So that would be the house. Is there a song by someone else that you wish you had written? Where do you want me to start? I am in awe of anyone that can write a song. I am a, my biggest my biggest passion is songwriting. The only thing that matters in in the music business, and I can say this without fear of any form of contradiction whatsoever, is the songs. That's it. Everything else doesn't. Everything else is just window dressing. It's the songs that matter, um, and if you don't have the songs, you have nothing. So I'm a massive admirer of of songwriters. They are my. They are wizards. They are the 
they're my Gandalf. You know what I mean? It's like it's like some kind of mad. It's like you know, I don't know where my songs come from. They they're visited upon me by some magical formula. I don't know where it comes from at all. So when I listen to something like Life on Mars by David Bowie, I don't, I can't. It bring it puts a lump in my throat because like, it's so fantastic. I don't know where that came from. Any, name anything from Queen, you know, from Bo, Bohemian Rhapsody right through to, you know, anything or anything off even some of the later albums. There's, there's some incredible stuff there, you know. It's very hard to know to where to start. I mean, my you know, my top three acts of all time are the are Queen, David Bowie, and, and the Beatles. I would challenge anyone to uh, um, not look at those three acts and say that they their body of work isn't supreme and a lesson to us all as songwriters. So I can't answer that question simply. It is, it is, um, it is, a, it's, a, it's a wide scope. Um, but I, you know, if, if you wanted me to point a finger at one particular song that I always, you know, I, I go back to as a good example, I probably would say, um, probably actually, I would probably say changes by David Bowie. I think that's a, that's a, a, as good as it gets as songwriting for me. Yeah. How do you think the rock metal scene will look in 20 years' time? Ooh, another good question. Um, music survives off the quality. It's not, it doesn't survive off movements. People think it does, but it doesn't. Uh, movements are only, movements are only uh, window dressing for the quality of the writing, again. If you look at something like Nirvana is a good example. You know, there's one reason, one reason only the Nirvana were, were succeeded and, were, um, and broke the mould was because... Kurt Cobain and the whole band, but specifically Cobain, was a staggeringly brilliant songwriter and defined his generation in the music that he created. That is not something that just simply happens. That comes from ingenuity and in intellect and being having a, a, a talent that is undeniable and naturally, naturally there. And that's the same of every generation and every movement of music. So I would hope that rock and metal can continue to develop but specifically, I feel, and I mean this, in our genre, our chosen genre of music that we love, I feel there's a lack of great songs. I think there is a, a, great, a lot of great records, but I don't think, I think the art of the great, so great songwriting has been lost in favour of great production. Um, and I think that, for me, that's a major mistake. And I hope that what will happen is people will return to the idea of what songs really should be and what they mean and what they, what, what they bring to society and how they can change things and how the, the, the actual words that come out, your, are coming out your mouth are absolutely important. It's not just a case of singing any old shit over some chords with a loud drum sound and a, a nice guitar sound and hope for the best. It's for me, that's, that's folly. And I, I hear a lot of that. And I, and I would hope that what we can do is we can we can look back on on a, on, a, on, a, on this recent period and sort of say that we made mistakes with the whole digital transformation of people being able to record easily uh, and use the technology to create music. Technology does not create music. Human beings creates music. Create music, and I, I, that that will be my desire. That in twenty years' time, we've realised that, and people have gone back to the idea of writing songs. And, and actually then performing those songs in their chosen format. How it should be, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm so glad that 
I'm, I'm just a bit younger than you, I think. Um, but I'm so glad I grew up and got into music in the 80s and that. It would just be a nightmare being young now, trying to get into metal or anything. It's just, everything's just crazy. And when I do talk to younger bands, you know, I used to ask them, like, what's your favourite album? Not normally they say, well, I don't know. I've listened to this track, that track on Spotify. And it's like... The essence of albums is gone, and it's sad, and it's yeah, it's so frustrating. I could go on for hours about it. I really could. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I but felt... that, you know that 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 just as a final thing, that's a generational thing, and that's to do with technology invading our lives. The good, the good, the good thing is for me is that the green shoots are there. I've worked with a lot of young bands in their you know sort of like late teens, early tw- and then in their early twenties, who have had that eureka moment where. They might have started off with that in the way that you're describing, just listening to one or two songs, but they then realised that they've got they've got to have an understanding of music in general and have gone back in and listened to their dad's record collections, that sort of thing. So I do think if if you're serious about your music and wanting to write something that's really going to make a difference, then you cannot help but have to explore what's gone before and use those experiences and use those great pieces of music to help inspire you. Having Pro Tools and, and making music on Pro Tools is not writing songs. That's not, it's not, it's just not. The only political question, but it's only because it's relevant, right? Okay. You, you come from Scarborough. I believe you, I live do. down, you live down south now. So have you been, have you been driving up to Scarborough to test your eyes, eyesight at all? <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. Um, and I know oh, you're in labour. I know you're a bit of a labour lad, so I'm gonna. Oh, oh I, I'm, I'm no, no, I'm. What, I tell you what, I am. I tell you what, I am. I'm, I'm a humanist. Absolutely. First and foremost, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a humanist. I'm, I have, a, I have a very strong political vision in my head, but it's, it's not what you might think it is. It's more to do with looking after people and everyone having a chance. Yes. Now, if you want to call that socialism, call it socialism. If you want to call it humanism, call it humanism. Um, I think there is a major... Uh, the only thing I'll say about this is I think there is a major, major problem when the very people that supposedly are creating the laws can't stick to them themselves. What song, any song, relates to how you're feeling today? Ignoring the last question, because that could be just raging. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say um, Roll Up by The Struts. Can you tell me why we should check out your re-release of Ignorance is Bliss? Because it's the darkest thing I've ever done as an artist. It's the most honest thing I've ever written as an artist. And I think as a kind of, if anyone's interested in me and maybe someone who's, who's reading this or listening to this has a kind of inkling of what, I, what, I, what I'm doing now through Wayward Sons but doesn't know much about my history, it's a good place to start as me as a solo artist because it defines the principles of who I am as a person, as a grown-up person, having gone through the situation with the Little Angels. And so it's a kind of good little marker in the sand to understand the kind of character I am. Brilliant. Do you have any final words for your fans and our listeners? Well, whenever anyone ever asks me that, I can only say the same thing. And it's just a very simple thank you. Hi, this is Toby Jackson from Wayward Sons, and you're listening to Metal Gods Meltdown. I'm on my way. I won't be back again. It's so absurd I will not take your spiteful words I've tried to explain 
So I'll let you scream 